But once again, good morning. This, um, this weekend, we kick off a new focus that will actually carry us all the way through the summer. Starting this weekend for the next 12 weeks, we will be in Matthew's Gospel. So our lectionary texts just happen to be focused around Matthew's Gospel all summer long. And so this summer at Good Shepherd, we are going to be on the way following Jesus through Matthew's Gospel. We begin here in chapter 9, the calling of the disciple, the Apostle Matthew. And we will slowly, slowly make our way over the weeks of the summer to around Matthew chapter 16, 17. So each week, it just builds on the last week. And we're going to be focusing on how we, as people of faith, are called to follow Jesus um, with the understanding that faith is a journey, never a destination. Faith is not about arriving at some place or some uh, spiritual land of euphoria. Rather, faith and trust in our God is a journey that Jesus invites us on. And so we're going to be exploring Matthew's gospel. And right here at the very beginning of this, I think it's important that we understand a few little things about Matthew's gospel in particular. The Gospel of Matthew, we we know, is the first gospel that appears in the New Testament, although it was not the first gospel written. Scholars and theologians believe Mark was the first gospel written. Matthew, though, was written, we believe, by the apostle, disciple, Matthew. Yeah, right? What do we know about Matthew? Well, what we know really comes to us from this uh, chapter 9. Matthew was a tax collector, and he was known as a sinner, right? He was probably the most unlikable person that Jesus invited to be a part of his core inner circle of disciples. Jesus literally could not have picked a more unpopular person culturally to come and follow him. Tax collectors... We're, we're not just collecting taxes uh, for the local uh, regional government, right? Matthew represented to the people of Galilee and the whole region, he represented the occupying government force called the Roman Empire, right? We struggle enough, don't we, paying taxes to our own government? Imagine paying taxes to a government that isn't your own. There was a whole American Revolution centered around that, right? Do you remember all the tea that ended up in the Boston Harbor? People tend to not like that very much. And yet this was Matthew's job. Matthew sat at a booth, as many tax collectors did, near the marketplace. And as people earned a living selling their fish or selling their crops or selling their goods, Matthew would take a cut of their proceeds and his, he was responsible with giving that money then back to the provincial governor that represented Rome. And then Matthew, like other tax collectors, well, he had to eat as well, didn't he? And so what did Matthew likely do that others were doing? He pocketed some of those proceeds for himself. And so tax collectors had this reputation as being sort of the enemy. And now... We don't know much else about the Apostle Matthew. 
From the moment Jesus calls Matthew to come and follow him, he sort of just disappears into the crowd of the twelve. He doesn't have many speaking roles. We, we don't see many scenes that lift up Matthew. We see Peter, James, and John talked about a lot. Mary Magdalene is referred to more often than Matthew. But what church history teaches us is that Matthew, post-resurrection and ascension, took the gospel into Ethiopia, which is fascinating to think about. We believe that Matthew actually was the evangelist, the apostle, that helped convert the king of Ethiopia to Christianity. It is totally a misnomer to think that, um, that people in Europe brought Christianity to Africa. Christianity existed in Africa hundreds and hundreds of years before it existed in Europe. And we can believe that Matthew was the one who brought that gospel into Ethiopia. And yet, here we are, with this unlikely character who ends up being one of the greatest figures that the church has ever known, the Apostle Matthew. And I've always scratched my head, and I've always wondered why Matthew seems to just respond um, almost robotically to Jesus' invitation to come and follow him. Now, Jesus doesn't ask Matthew if he would like to follow him. He actually commands Matthew. It's an imperative. It's not, do you want to come follow me, Matthew? Hey, have you ever considered doing something different with your life, Matthew? I've got a job offer for you. Rather, Jesus comes with very strong language, we know, in the biblical Greek, and he says, Matthew, follow me. And what does Matthew do? He gets up from his table, and he follows Jesus. Now maybe, just maybe, Jesus had this glow and aura around him and like a fly to a light, a blue light, Matthew just sort of was like, oh, following Jesus. I happen to believe though. I happen to believe that Matthew responded so instantaneously because Matthew had been wrestling for quite some time internally. Have you ever had the nagging feeling in your life that there needs to be something more than your everyday existence? Have you ever grown frustrated with the humdrum, the boss-pleasing, the bill-paying nature of your life? I think we've all been there at one point or another. I wonder if Matthew having known about Jesus being in the region of Capernaum in Galilee for quite some time, if Matthew wasn't curious, open to this new rabbi and his teaching, the way that Jesus was welcoming and including all sorts of people. And I have to wonder if Matthew internally had been wrestling with his own purpose in life. You know, behind every tax booth is a human being. I have to think that Matthew wasn't evil. He was caught up in a broken system. Can you imagine the shame and the guilt that Matthew may have felt over time? I'm just trying to do my job, and, and yet I know all these people don't like me because I have to do my job, and, and yet deep inside my belly I want to do something more. 
And so maybe, just maybe, when the call of Jesus came, Matthew got up because he was excited about the opportunity to live a new life. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus will invite people to come and follow him. And what's normally true is that when Jesus invites people to follow, he also invites them to leave something behind, right? Come on this new adventure, and James and John, leave behind your nets and your boat and the fishing life that you've known. Matthew, though, Matthew offers us something different that I find truly encouraging. And often we just skip right over this part. We don't even pay much attention to what happens immediately following that moment when Matthew gets up from the table to come follow Jesus. Matthew does not follow Jesus and leave behind the life he knew. Rather, something truly remarkable takes place. When Jesus invites Matthew to come and follow him, Matthew throws a dinner party for all of his tax collector friends, all of the ill-reputable people, all of those that are known as sinners. Now, you would think at first glance that Matthew would just want to leave all of that behind, right? Jesus is calling Matthew, the sinner, to come and follow and live a righteous, pious life. Why would he be throwing a dinner party for all of those scoundrels that he's been associated with? And it's in this point that I think Jesus and the author of Matthew's gospel is trying to reinforce for us a truth that we often miss in our discipleship. The call to follow Jesus is not about leaving behind the life you've known. I want to say that louder. The call to follow Jesus is not about leaving behind the life you've known, the relationships you've cultivated, the friendships that you have. Rather, following Jesus is about being equipped to be a disciple in those very relationships that already exist in your life. Do you see the change there, the shift? Jesus doesn't want to call Matthew away from all of those people he's known. He invites Matthew to come learn a new way of living so that Matthew can be an evangelist in that community. I think that's profound, especially for us this weekend at Good Shepherd. What an exciting weekend. 50 new members, 55-0. That's remarkable, folks. I want all of our new members to hear something, though, loud and clear this weekend. As you come forward in a few moments and as we recite the creed together and as you join your life to our life and we join our life to your life in this life of discipleship, what you are not doing is leaving behind everything you've known so that you can get sucked into church world. Please, Lord, don't get sucked into church world. Now, we want you to serve and to come alive, but what we really want to happen is we want you, like the rest of us, by being a part of the body of Christ, to be more equipped to be a disciple of Jesus in your home, 
in your workplace, in your neighborhood, through the circles of influence that you already have. Jesus is never calling you to abandon your life to join a new community. Rather, Jesus invites you into the gospel community so that you can be the heart, the hands, and the feet of Jesus right where you live. Amen? The other thing that I think we need to be mindful of this week is that we, we at Good Shepherd, are all, always, new members. It doesn't matter if your yellow badge says 59, 84, 16. Those are the years people joined, right? Good Shepherd, y'all are proud of your buttons. (laughs) And they're beautiful. And it's wonderful. But theologically, being a part of the body of Christ is not something that happened in 89, 59, 74, 2016. Every one of our buttons, every day of our lives should say, brand new. Brand new. Do you know Martin Luther, our church father, right? Luther, have you heard of him? Yeah, you've heard of him. Okay, good. Do you know Martin Luther lived most of his life tormented? Tormented with shame, with guilt, with anxiety. Luther truly felt for the majority of his life that he was wretched, that he deserved God's wrath. Luther regularly thought to himself that things that would unfold in his life were due to a past mistake he had made. God was punishing Luther in his own mind. And Luther, we know, would enter into the confessional booth and he'd be in the confessional booth for like 45 minutes or an hour. And he would just, that poor priest on the other side of the confessional booth, Luther would walk out of the confessional booth and not 10 minutes later would go find that priest and say, can we go back in the booth? And the priest would say, Luther, why? (laughs) Well, because I thought of new things that I need forgiveness for. And so the priest would go back in the booth with Luther and Luther would spill it out again, back and forth, back and forth. Now, many of you might know Luther's journey. It's late at night when Luther was pouring through the scriptures, reading Ephesians, Galatians, and in particular, Romans. Side note, we're not only in Matthew's gospel for the next 12 weeks, for the next 16 weeks, we're in Romans, Luther's favorite book of the Bible. And it was through a late night session with the word of God that for the first time in Luther's life, now granted, he was already a priest, a monk, and a professor, right? He had the religious thing sort of figured out. But it was late in his life that Luther discovered the power of God's grace. And you know, Luther, still occasionally tormented by his guilt, by his shame, he would write down three words And there are journals that you can read to this day with Luther's own handwriting where it's these three words written over and again 50 or 100 times. And those who knew Luther often experienced Luther reciting these three words over and again, over and again. Do you know what they were? I am baptized. I am 
baptized. I am baptized. When Luther felt attacked by the world, by his own guilt, by the devil, by the the forces of all this chaos, Luther would say, I am baptized. Now, what is profound about that? Luther did not write or say, I was baptized. Baptism for Luther was not a one-time event that happened when he was an infant. Just like membership in the body of Christ is not a one-time event that happened in 74 when you joined the church. Our Lutheran theology teaches us that every day we are being made new. Every day is a new opportunity, like the kids intuitively know, to follow the leader. (laughs) Because every day we get lost and Jesus finds us. Every day we are made new. What would it mean for Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, not just the 50 that are joining, but all of us, to recognize and reaffirm that we are... Let's do that again. We are... And by nature of that theology, it means that we are made brand new today and every day. What would it mean for us to move forward in faith on the way, following Jesus with new energy, new excitement, recognizing we're all brand new members of the body of Christ, invited once again to learn the ways of Jesus? Thanks be to God for this invitation. Thanks be to God that this is the kind of God we worship. Not a God who said, you know what? You had one chance and you kind of screwed it up. But rather a God who said, every step you take, every road you travel on, I am with you. Inviting you, calling you back to listen to the sound of my voice so that together we can continue to pursue a world restored with grace, with peace, with harmony, with joy. That's the God we serve. That's the mission we are called to. Amen.